Galveston Unscripted. On the eve of splintered dreams and imminence engulfed. September 8th, 1900. A day that would change the Texas coast and the course of Galveston Island's distinct economic position and seemingly endless prosperity forever. A powerful hurricane, which struck Galveston with very little notice, left the island in splinters. The city's potential was no match for the momentum of a hurricane, with the storm surge exceeding the highest point on the island and winds at over 145 miles per hour. This hurricane is now known as the Great Storm of 1900 and is, to this day, the deadliest natural disaster in United States history. On September 7, 1900, the day prior to the Great Storm, the city was in the swing of summer. The island city of Galveston had grown from a small settlement on the coast of the newly formed Republic of Texas into one of the wealthiest cities in the United States. Galveston had experienced hurricanes and even severe storms that caused destruction, but nothing had deterred Galvestonians from continuing their lives on a barrier island on the Gulf Coast of Texas. The impression of the general public, as well as numerous experts, was the island city of Galveston was an unrelenting powerhouse that would soon be a major metropolis of the southern United States. Affluent residents and wealthy tourists from all over the country visited Galveston to bathe and play in the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. The city, although a fraction of the population, was considered a premier cosmopolitan city, comparable to San Francisco or New Orleans, and even some of the prominent cities in the Northeast. It seemed as if nothing could stop the influx of fortune. In 1900, with a population of over 37,000, Galveston boasted being the third richest city in the United States per capita. Throughout the late 1800s, with plentiful growth, wealth, and prosperity, the island was home to numerous firsts in the state of Texas, such as the first electricity and the first telephones. Its natural deepwater channel made Galveston the most important seaport in Texas. By the turn of the 20th century, over a thousand ships were passing through the port of Galveston, and roughly 60% of the state's cotton crop was exported through the port. As the population of the United States expanded towards the west coast, Galveston's capacity for imports provided a means to bring commodities, materials, and people as close to the American West as possible. Multiple major rail lines started or ended on the booming island. Significant efforts were being made to expand the capacity of the port of Galveston to compete with the rapidly growing port city 52 miles north. That city is named Houston. The island was also the gateway into Texas for immigrants from all over the world. Galveston was, without a doubt, the most economically robust city in Texas. Up to the eve of the Great Storm, major hotels, elegant bars, and delectable restaurants could be found throughout the city, and plenty of locals and visitors alike were willing to keep them busy. Daily trains from both Houston and Beaumont would make their way into the bustling city on the Gulf. The Beaumont Rail Line would travel across the Galveston-Bolivar Ferry, which utilized a vessel with the capability to hold passenger rail cars. This rail ferry would cross the Galveston Ship Channel and land on the northeast side of Galveston Island. The rail line to and from Houston would cross a wooden railroad bridge into the north side of the island. Galveston Island was bustling all the way up until disaster struck. A man named Isaac Klein, head of the Texas section of the United States Weather Bureau, believed that due to Galveston's unique position in the Gulf of Mexico, the island was in a safe zone from major hurricanes. In those days, storm forecasting was done through the National Weather Bureau in Washington, D.C., and many weathermen were not trained to forecast events such as hurricanes. In 1900, the ability to track hurricanes was possible, but rudimentary. 
It required communication by telegraph from branches of the Weather Service back to the headquarters in D.C. Essentially, the Weather Service relied on raw data from multiple locations. To add layers of complexity to the centralized control of forecasting, due to strained relations, the National Weather Bureau had cut ties with the Cuban Weather Service. Three days before the storm struck Galveston, it tore through the Caribbean and directly over Cuba. As a major hurricane entered the Gulf of Mexico, the Cuban Weather Service telegraphed the National Weather Bureau, but no heed was taken. The National Weather Bureau, lacking pertinent information from Cuba, believed the storm had instead tracked near Cuba and then turned northeast and was headed back into the Atlantic Ocean. Days before the impending storm, it was business as usual in Galveston. The characteristics that made the city attractive as a vacation destination and a pleasant place to live left it vulnerable to imminent disaster. However, you would be hard-pressed to find many people who believe this low-lying island, sitting right on the Gulf Coast, could fall into complete catastrophe. This idea was about to be put on trial. The highest natural elevation on the island was around 8 feet above sea level. On the evening of September 7, 1900, the tide seemed high and the waves were a little more aggressive than usual. Isaac Klein, the chief of the Texas branch of the National Weather Bureau, was well aware that something was off. Most Galvestonians went to bed without an inkling of an idea that it was going to be the last time they would be cozy in their barely higher-than-sea-level homes. For the next day was September 8, 1900. This is Galveston Unscripted. To dive into everything Galveston, check out visitgalveston.com.